Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is Judah, and it is uh, with great excitement that I get to reintroduce to you a collection of sermons and messages we did 10 years ago entitled Jesus Is. And we endeavored to finish that sentence, to fill in that blank. And the journey began, and it really became my life passion and life mission. It became a book and a resource that you can still pick up. Also, you can find more of these talks on our YouTube channel. And if there's any way we can serve you, please look us up on Pastor Chat. And I hope that you enjoy these messages. Matthew 28, 16. Are you there? I'm going to read from the screen. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, These are his last words on the planet. What is Jesus going to say with his last few phrases on the planet? He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And here's his final concluding words on the planet. And lo, how many glad there's a go, but there's also a low. Drummer's not there anymore. Okay. And lo, I'm with you always. Wow. Even to the end of the age. Can I just make a comment real quick on baptizing? I'm so excited. In about a week and a half, we're going to baptize probably in Los Angeles. We've started a Bible study. And as you know, we're opening the campus there in September. September 11th, we'll have our first service there officially as a campus on a Wednesday night. And uh, we're we're probably going to baptize 25 young people in Los Angeles here in a couple of weeks in somebody's pool. It's pretty awesome. What a privilege it is, you know, to be a missionary and to love people and to tell them the good news about Jesus. And hey, if you haven't been baptized, the first Sunday of every month, we're always baptizing at all of our campuses. And I want to encourage you to to do that. Go with me to, um, would you go to one more scripture with me? Let's go to, let's go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 15. This is such an assuring scripture. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. What a simple scripture. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. In other words, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God's immediate, tangible, authentic, Genuine, real presence is with them always. Isn't that beautiful? I want to title uh, part three here of our Jesus is series. Jesus is with you always. Jesus is with you always. Will you pray with me one more time? And there Sunday morning, nine o'clock and 1130 here in Kirkland. Would you pray with me as well? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help us to experience Jesus. God, even as we speak of his presence and his, his uh, immediate aid and care for us, we pray that we would encounter his love in these moments. 
God, thank you for your grace. And Lord, thank you for the sunshine. I don't know what it's like there on Sunday morning as they're watching this, Lord. But here on Saturday night, it's beautiful. So we thank you. And once again, Lord, thank you for the supersonics and for the off-season acquisitions for the Seahawks. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I, uh, I had um, only pretty much one chore growing up. And my mom probably wouldn't like me to admit that. She tried to inflict me with other chores. But uh, really only one stuck. And it was uh, taking out the garbage. Anyone here who had still your chore? Taking, taking out the garbage. It's been a real thrill, I must admit, now that Zion's eight. Uh, I've passed it on to the next generation. And uh, like I've already used the phrase that my dad raised, uh, my dad said, um, and of course it was great. Like I remember like, dad, why do I have to mow the lawn? And he's like, son, why do you think I raised you? It's such a great line, isn't it? And I've already inflicted my eight-year-old, dad, why? Why do we think I raised you, son? Why, why do you think we had you? To work for us. <laughs> but um, it was kind of my one chore, taking out the garbage. And uh, it's embarrassing to admit this. And look, let me just preface this by saying it. It's not that I'm afraid of the dark. I just prefer the light. Anybody else prefer the light? I mean, you just, you, your preference is light. Is, is, it, is that wrong? Should I be ashamed of that? I don't prefer total darkness. And those that do, I am concerned for you. <laughs> I am a person of the light. Um, so, you know, garbage, it was always garbage night, you know, because the early the next morning, the garbage man would come. And so it was my job to, you know, empty all the garbages in the house and then put them in the garbage bins and, and usher the bins to the street corner. Um, this is where things get a little bit embarrassing. Um, because I preferred the light, and it was typically right before I went to bed and it was dark, and in, I might add, in the Northwest, it can get very dark. Um, I oftentimes would take out the garbage in very odd ways. For instance, it usually started with opening the garage, preparing myself emotionally. <laughs> you can do this. You're 18. You know, stuff like that. Pep talks like that. You're six foot tall. You can do this. You know. I was convinced, though, that, 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 that there were bad guys lurking in the bushes and in the darkness. You know, And I have a vivid imagination. Bear with me, okay? So, so I, this would literally happen. I would carry the two bins. And I don't know why we do this. And maybe you've done this before. But I, I made lots of noise. Because I felt like that would scare the bad guys away. You know? I mean, I'm like, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. You know, that was the song we were singing back then. And, you know, I mean, I'm just like, uh, you know, I'm bad, I'm bad. Hello, are you there? Hello? You know, I mean, literally, I see you. Have you ever done that? Like, I know you're here. You walk into a house that's empty. I know you're here. Come out right now. I've done it, friends, Okay. You, don't have, you can just leave me out here all by myself, but I know some of you have too, you people who prefer the light. So I'd make a lot of noise, and I'd finally, you know, get the bins out. I mean, we're talking 40 yards at max, right, to the end of the driveway. Not even that, to be honest. But anyways, I'd get the bins to the street corner, and then I have to say, this is when I ran my fastest. 
I just wish they would have timed these 40-yard dashes, you know. I would have, I could have gone to the NFL Combine. I mean, I would turn and, I mean, like electricity shot through my body because there's something about it. I would, I would be convinced that they were lurking, watching, 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 and then when I placed the bins and turned to the house, that's when the bad guys were going to pounce. And that's when my fear got to its climactic state and it was like a, an electrical pulse went through my body and I just panicked and ran back into the garage and I'm scrambling to press the garage door because I'm convinced the bad guy's going to slip under the door. This really happened. Don't laugh at my pain. I'm really, really telling you the truth. I'm 20 years old and I'm running a four flat 40 to get back to the garage and press the button. But you know what's amazing? Is that dumb? Sometimes I would, you know, trick and manipulate my friends to do it with me. And uh, I was a completely different person if my friend was with me. Completely chatting it up. You know, yeah, yeah, I do this all the time. And, you know, kind of scare him a little bit. Oh, you scared, buddy? (laughs) You're a scaredy cat. You know, hopefully no one videotaped me the night before, you know. But of course what it is, or whatever, wherever you've been, whatever the setting, situation, circumstance, we've all probably been scared a time or two when we're alone, but you just put one other warm body in that situation that you know is at least somewhat friendly, and all of that fear seems to subside. It's amazing. It's the human condition. It's the power of presence. It's the power of knowing that somebody's there. And what's amazing to me is that it could be a very tiny, itty-bitty person, a small person, a mere child. But just to have another warm body somehow bring some of your fears and your tears and your imaginations calm down and subside because you have, you're not alone and someone is, is with you. Well, look, God knows It's that verse, you know, God knows that we're dust. Like he knows the human condition. He knows it in and out. He knows that when we get alone, we often get afraid. Especially when we're alone and it's dark. We get afraid. Now dark sometimes physically, literally, and dark sometimes situationally in in our circumstances. Things are bleak and dark and challenging and we're alone. The human condition is capable of extraordinary uh, terror and fear and anxiety and these things that uh, weigh on our heart and our mind, but just having somebody in the room. Now, if, if men, I will deviate for a moment to make a comment that might aid my brothers who are bound, I mean married, to a beautiful woman. If we would learn the power of presence, women, women like presence, But women are a unique creature in that they like men to be there, but oftentimes do not like men to speak. (laughs) They just want, like, 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 like I, you know, Chelsea, we'll get in a conversation, but she actually, it's more of a monologue. She just wants to share her heart. I'm like, well, that's easy. We could do this. We do this. She just wants me to be there and be. So that's just a minor little deviation here to aid my brothers everywhere who are married. Uh, take this to note. This will help your marriage. Sometimes just be there. Shut up. Put your arm around her and pretend like you don't have the answer when we all know we do. Okay. 
Oh, babe, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> Could fix this thing in a New York second, but oh, God, it's so terrible. Just come here. Let me just hold you. Anyways, so that's not at all my message. It's a good, it's a good little point. It kind of makes sense. Like, what is Jesus going to say to us? His last few words on the planet. What's he going to leave with us? Like, out of all the things he could assure us, promise us, say to us, challenge us, command us, what's he going to say? Essentially, his last sentence on the planet is, I'm with you always, even to the very end. I'm not going to leave you. I'm always there. Now, what happens in a message like this, is we start talking about the presence of God, is smart people, which all of you are, we're still the most educated city, by the way, United States of America. We have more college degrees than any city in the United States of America, and we are proud to be so cerebral, are we not? Okay. But smart people will say, well, you know, this is a great message about presence, but, you know, who gets the presence? And I know God's promising, but like if you disobey, if you do something bad, if you do something wrong, if you don't attend church very much, if you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you know, God, he won't, he won't, he won't be there. Wait a minute. We just read 1 John chapter 4. It makes it explicit. Whoever confesses, whoever's heart believes and slips out of the mouth, Jesus is God. He's the son of the living God. The Bible says God abides in him. And he and God. You have the presence of God with you. It's as simple as that. You don't have to bat a thousand. You don't have to cross all your T's and dot all your I's and do it all right. But if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, then this Matthew 28 and verse 20 is your reality. Jesus said, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. I wonder how you and I would live. How differently we would live if this truly was real to us. Like, have you ever watched a TV show with someone you respect? I've used this illustration before. Like watching a TV show with dad. I've recommended, dad, watch this with me. And all of a sudden, one of those awkward scenes comes on. An explicit word is used. And dad looks at me like, really? And I look back and go, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Turn it off. Turn it off. It's like my favorite show with my friends. You know, but... It's the power of presence to enlighten your conscience, for instance, to bring security, to bring confidence, to bring clarity in terms of decision making. Just when somebody's there, it's amazing the power of presence. I wonder if you and I truly believed, I mean practically, literally, physically believed that Jesus was with us always how differently we would live, privately and publicly. Matthew 28, of course, Jesus is giving us what many people call the Great Commission. He is commissioning people who will live life on a mission. This go is pretty significant, isn't it? This go has extraordinary implications. This go is, this is you and I, Jesus followers, are called to live life on the go. 
Some of you are experiencing this. I mean, you're part of a vibrant, growing community, and we're passionate about telling other people about Jesus. We're not just existing. We're not just going nine to five. We're not just trying to make sure to count our calories and be in shape and have a good life and a picket fence and a dog named Spot. Like, we're really about helping people, serving people, loving people, leveraging our lives, our time, our finances, our energy, and our efforts to serve people and make a difference in the Puget Sound region. We are really taking this missionary thing for real. We believe that missionaries are not just international. They're not just in China and Uganda and Africa and Ghana. No, we believe you can be a missionary to Kent. You can be a missionary to Juanita. You can be a missionary to Kirkland or Issaquah or the U District or Belltown or Alderwood or North South. I mean, we, we, we really, this is real to us. Well, with mission kind of living, living life on this go, living life in the go that Jesus has called us to, there is going to be risk. There's going to be challenge. I mean, physically, Chelsea and I, I mean, I'm experiencing this and we're going to L.A. And honestly, L.A. would have been the last city in the world. I would have gone to if I had my own choice. But God is opening up doors for us to go different places. I mean, the Maloofs are moving to Austin to start a brand new church out of nothing. God's calling them. We've given them now nearly $200,000. That's a risk on your part. It's a risk on their part. We're living life on mission. With this unpredictable, wild journey and adventure called missionary living, there is going to be challenges. There's going to be moments where you feel like you're all alone taking out the garbage. (laughs) Like, God, where are you? And you're singing loudly and trying to pump yourself up, but you feel alone. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that that there's going to be challenges. Like, Like, have you ever wondered sometimes, like, People that don't know Jesus, have you ever watched their life? And this is throughout the biblical narrative. People like David ask questions like this. Lord, they don't even, their life seems so easy. And they don't even follow you. They don't even know you. And I love you. And my life is a wreck. (laughs) One old preacher took a young preacher out hunting one day. And the young preacher asked the old preacher, he said, he said, why, um, why do, you know, good people, I mean, you know, God's people, they seem to get, they got more problems and challenges sometimes and even people who don't even know God. Preacher, I don't, I just don't understand it. He said, young man, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. He said, he looked over there and he saw there was a, there was a dead animal in this open field where they were hunting. He said, do we shoot at that animal? And he said, no, sir. He said, that's right, we shoot at the animals that are alive. He said, the enemy understands those who follow Jesus are alive. And they have, a, they have a target on their life. And there's going to be challenge in the, and there's going to be difficulty. And this is, this is great news. That Jesus loves you. It's amazing. You're going to live life. But you need to understand something. That you're a target. <laughs> yes. I didn't think I'd get many amens. <laughs> there's going to be challenges and there's going to be resistance at times. And that's why Matthew 28 is so significant. So critical for us to contemplate and consider that, hey, 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 even when these challenges come, God has promised us not to be with us most of the time, but to be with us all of the time. He's there. Now, when we're looking for security and stability in this life, 
when our situations cannot offer us security and stability, it is imperative that we find security and stability in our Savior who is ever-present. Do you know that even Jesus found stability in the presence of the Father? One of the famous scriptures for those of us that are Jesus followers is found in John 16, 33, where Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have many tribulations. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that in, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do you know the context in which Jesus speaks this verse? If you go back to verse 31 of John 16, Jesus answered and said, do you now believe? Now, what's happening here is Jesus is having a dialogue to his, to, with his disciples. And he tells them plainly, he goes, look, I've been sent by the Father. This is what's going to happen. And the disciples say this. And if I was Jesus, I would have gone off. The disciples in the verse right before they say, okay, all right, look, you're finally speaking our language. Not, not all these parables that we just kind of get lost in. So this is tar- starting to really make sense, Jesus. Uh, we're, we, we really do believe. Now, we're in. Now, this is towards the end of his ministry. And no wonder Jesus goes... Oh, now you believe? The miracles, they didn't do it for you? The blind eyes opening, the deaf ears opening, that I was walking on H2O, that, that, so, so now you believe. I mean, I want to punch somebody for Jesus. Look what his next verse says. He says, indeed, the hour is coming. He said, oh, we're in, we believe. And now has come. In a few hours, in a few days, you're going to be scattered, each to his own. You're going to deny me. And you'll leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. Because the Father is with me. Even Jesus took stability and security in the presence of the Father. It's in that context in the next verse that Jesus says, in verse 33... These things I've spoken to you, that in me, listen to those words, in me you have peace. Because in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I win. I always win. Here's the tension for us, speaking to Jesus' followers. The tension is we live in the world. That's a fact. And what people, to avoid tribulations and challenges and difficulties, Christians create crazy philosophies and even theologies. And I pick on Montana again, so bear with me. But they essentially move to some obscure place, live in a treehouse somewhere in burlap, okay? And they gather up water and they just hope for Jesus' return because they don't want to live in the world. No, we're in the world to make a difference in the world and to live as missionaries. And by the way, while we're on topic, God loves this world and he actually called the planet good (laughs) God wants us here or we wouldn't be here but what has to become more real to us than in the world is in me that's the challenge what's more real to you the fact that you're in the world or the fact that you're in Christ when in Christ is more real to you than in the world Anything that happens in the world will not derail you. Will not cause you to flip out. Because what is more real to you than in the world is being in his presence at all times. Like literally, this is the way 
we are to live. Practically, like financially, dealing with your finances. I mean, let's talk about one of the great fears in human mankind. One of the great fears of any human being that's ever lived is financial fear. Fear in relationship, will we have enough resource? Will we have enough food? Will we have enough clothing? Will we have enough space? Do we have a bed? Will we have things? And of course, if you get married and you have kids, and especially if you're the sole provider for the family, single parents, you're my hero. This is a real fear that people face. Is there going to be enough? Is God going to supply? What's going to happen? Do you know that God's presence is ultimately to be the antidote, even for fears in relationship to finances? Look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 13. Let your conduct, listen closely, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said. Now listen, listen, listen. So far we've talked about covetousness, things and stuff. It says don't, basically don't always want, I need that car, I want this house, I need more square footage, I want all this stuff, stuff, stuff. Stuff's not bad, but the scripture, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, this shouldn't be your focus. Be content now, like, what I would expect the, ne- the end of the verse to end with was like, is because, you know, God said that he's going to provide. But the end of the verse says, for he himself has said, quoting Deuteronomy, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, okay. Wait, we were talking about stuff. Talking about Wheaties. I was talking about shoes, gas. Uh, the light bill. Uh, I need an AC unit. Uh, w- wait a minute. Why are you ending with, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Could I get like a verse in there that like, God will provide everything you need forever and ever, amen. But instead, the answer or the antidote is his presence. His presence. Like, That one of the ways to overcome, one of the primary ways to overcome anxiety in relationship to things and stuff and finances and shortage and challenge or just a desire for more is to stop and go, wait a minute, he's with me, he's enough, he's right here right now. And I love this quote of Deuteronomy we give, he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Leave and forsake. There are two different things here, two different Greek words, leave and forsake. Sometimes we just kind of read it as he'll never leave you or leave you. But leave literally means to let you down. He'll never let you down and forsake means walk away. The promise is I won't let you down and I won't walk away. Wow. In other words, he's enough. He's always going to be there. Let me read it to you in, in uh, the message. Can I read it to you in the message? It's so encouraging. Listen to this. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Listen, it doesn't say you can't. It doesn't say stuff's bad. It doesn't say things are bad. It says, but obsessing over getting more, that's not going to be good for you. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God assured us, I'll never let you down. And I'll never walk off and leave you. My passion as a pastor is to make the presence of God very practical. Sometimes we only acknowledge the presence of God when we're in what we think is a spiritual environment. 
We only look for God's presence when we're in church or when we're in a prayer meeting or when we're reading our daily devotional. But once we get into the boardroom or once we get into the locker room or once we get into the break room or once we get to our cubicle or once we get to school or once we're out, you know, working or we're, we're landscaping or we're a barista, we're not we're no longer looking for his presence when in reality, that's where his presence is. He's with you always. And frankly, that's when you need him most. (laughs) Anybody can be kind of nice in church. I need him in my everyday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on payday, when the bills are across the kitchen table. I need to know that He won't let me down and he won't walk out on me. I'm with you always. Jesus promised you're going to have tribulation. Nowhere in scripture are we told to look for it, ask for it, desire it, or wear it as a badge of merit. But he said, you're going to have challenges. Let me translate it. Bad things happen to good people. And sometimes bad things happen more often to good people because they got a target on their life. And there's a fight and there's a challenge and you're living as a missionary and you want to make a difference. We have got to take time to consider the reality that we are, before we're in the world, we're in him and he's in us. And this is, this is real. Jesus is with us always. Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul, he's this guy in his first life, so to speak. His name is Saul, and he's a, he's a prodigy. He is a poster boy for the Pharisee, Sadducee, these religious leaders. He is, he is a brilliant mind, and we see him in the beginning of the book of Acts. And there he's persecuting Christians. Many of you know his story, some don't, so I'm quickly going to fill you in. I believe the reason Saul, his name gets changed by God to Paul. The presence of God is very real in this man's life. Probably because it started when God's literal presence, tangible physical presence, knocked him off of his donkey. That'll get your attention. And then he heard the audible voice of God. But throughout the life and ministry of Paul, and boy, it was a risky life, wasn't it? Paul planted churches all over the known world. Paul has four letters, by the way, four that are called the prison epistles. Sounds so poetic. It's not if you're Paul. It means he wrote them in chains, in prison. Paul's life, I mean, in one place he talks about his life, that he's been beaten and he's been challenged. And I mean, this guy lived the missionary adventure, didn't he? But you know, the sustaining force of Paul's life was the reality that God was always with him. Some of you know the story, but in Acts 16, Paul's got a sidekick named Silas, and they're in a city called Philippi. And as the story goes, it's it's really ridiculous, really. Paul is there, and they're going to this place to pray pretty much every day, and Every day on their way to pray at this place in Philippi, 
there's this young gal, and she's clearly demon-possessed, and she keeps screaming that Paul is a man of God. Everybody listen to him, he's a man of God. And the Bible says Paul just got annoyed. Day after day after day, and Paul just finally stopped and said, in the name of Jesus, come out. You're, You're bugging me. You're ticking me off. Come out. And the demon did, in the name of Jesus. Well, the owners of this young lady, who, because of the demons within her, she was basically a fortune teller, right? She was making profit for these owners. They liked the fact that she was troubled and possessed. Well, they make an uproar. I mean, Paul did the lady a favor, and they make an uproar. And before they know it, Paul and Silas are being stripped naked and beaten with sticks and imprisoned in a place called Philippi. Before they know it, they're in the inner prison. Most scholars and stuff believe that they were in sewage, maybe up to their waist, naked, in sewage, chained. And at midnight, it says in Acts 16, at midnight, some of you know the story, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I know we read these scriptures, Christians, and again, we make them so poetic and we round off the rugged edges of really what's happening. Over time, they become historical and beautiful and almost ethereal and not even that real. But these are two normal guys who frankly like to wear clothes and don't prefer to sleep in sewage. Okay, my ears were hurting a little bit and I was complaining. These guys are in sewage to their waist and they're naked. They should be complaining. But Paul is singing. I wouldn't have been singing. He's singing. Something's very real to Paul. And what's real to Paul is whose he is and whose he is in him rather than in sewage. The only way you can live like this in the middle of tribulation in the middle of financial crisis, in the middle of stuff up to your waist, (laughs) there's got to be something else that's more real to you than the stuff you're in. This is not because Paul and Silas are such amazing dudes. Like Paul is just kind and sweet. No, Paul gets mad. Paul disagrees with some of his fellow believers and they never speak again. Paul's got relational problems. Paul is not socially perfect. Paul's a normal guy. But being in Christ was so real to Paul that when he was in sewage, up to his waist, and in the inner prison, it's as if he's celebrating. This is amazing. This is the kind of reality, the kind of faith, the kind of trust that you and I, I believe, have access to. I really do. That we can live like this. That you can put us up to all kinds of stuff to our ways and chain us down and pin us down. But what will come out of the core of our soul is a song of praise and celebration. Because we know He's with us always. Even when we're in the inner prison, up to our waist in unspeakable stench. And you know the story. God, God's presence becomes literally manifest 
and there's an earthquake. And everyone's chains are loosed and Paul and Silas are free and people get saved. And before you know it, Paul starts a church, doesn't he? He starts a church in Philippi. Some 10 to 12 years later, he gets a gift from that church he started. A church that came from a song in a prison submerged in sewage. He sang. He celebrated in that moment. Things broke open because a man truly believed that God was always with him. A church was planted. It grows big enough, large enough, healthy enough that Paul is in need of resource and finance. That church, 10 to 12 years later, sends an extraordinary gift to Paul. Paul is overwhelmed by their financial gift and their financial support. And he writes a letter, a letter we now call Philippians. (laughs) And 10 to 12 years later, guess what Paul writes? Guess where Paul is? He's in another prison. Now, if I'm 10 to 12 years removed from one of the most horrible situations I could imagine, I'm a germphobe, okay, people? I can't imagine anything worse than being without my clothes in a prison in sewage. It's about the lowest point for me. 10 to 12 years later, not a lot has improved in terms of Paul's situation. It should be noted, he's not in sewage. Great. And I think he's got his clothes on. But he's in prison. And guess what he writes in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I've seen that word always before. I am with you always. If he's with me always... I can rejoice always. If he's with me there, I can praise him there. If he's with me here, I can rejoice here. As long as he's with me, there's hope. As long as he's with me, I've got the majority. As long as he's with me, he's going to see me through. As long as he's with me, he's not going to walk out on me. He's not going to let me down. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul says, wait. How about I say it again? Rejoice. Paul, you've had nearly 12 years. And you're almost in the same predicament, buddy. Yeah. Rejoice. Did I say it enough? Let me say it again. Rejoice. What is Paul so pumped about? Let's be honest. Do you think Paul was literally pumped that he's in prison? No. And the Bible never says you have to be pumped about your bills or pumped about some sickness you're fighting and resisting. I'm not pumped about my ear infection. That's not what we're pumped about. But what I'm rejoicing in is his promise, his presence. He's with me. (laughs) He ain't let me down yet. And he's never walked out on me. He's with me. I'm going to be all right. People may complain for me, man. Things hadn't turned out like you planned. All things, you're going through a real tough time. I've heard, man, I've been praying for you. Yeah, hey, 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 yeah, it's true. It's true. I appreciate the prayers, but uh, it's okay. I still got hope. 
I still got my faith. I still got my trust. I got a little skip in my step and a twinkle in my eye and a song in my heart. I'm going to be all right. Yeah, but you're up to your waist in. I know. But he hadn't let me down. He won't walk out on me. He's a God who can come up with earthquakes and all kinds of stuff to get me out of the craziest of situations. I think as your pastor, what I'm feeling in my heart is as we launch out into ever-increasing missionary endeavors, that y'all prepare yourself for John 16, 33. In me, you can have peace, Jesus said. In the world, there's going to be challenges. But hey, you can be happy. Because <laughs> I always win. We got to live like this. I want to live like this. Do you feel like you're up to your waist and unspeakable challenges and difficulties? Do you feel pinned down? Do you feel cornered? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel alone? Do you feel challenged? You might be one of those people that ever since you started following Jesus, things have gotten worse. Ever since you stepped foot in this blessed church, what you were in at your ankles is now to your waist and you're thinking, really? What do I do now? And what you want me to tell you is, hey, look, as long as you follow God, you won't have any challenges. Sorry, I don't got that message. It's not in the book. But I can tell you this much. The fact that he is with you is more real than the reality of what you're in. He's there. He's there right now. He's here now. Tomorrow morning you wake up, you get in your car, you get on your motorcycle, maybe all you got is a bicycle. On your way to work, school, wherever you're going tomorrow morning, Monday morning, he's there. He's with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And let me say it one more time, church. Rejoice. Why? Because Jesus is with us always and everywhere. Amen? Would you pray with me? Just close your eyes just for a moment. Even there Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, there at the 1130 service on Sunday right here in Kirkland, praying for you as well right now. Right now you here and you say, you know, Judah, I'd like to know this Jesus you speak of. Could, um, could you include me in this prayer? In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. In fact, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Accepting Jesus Christ into your life forever. Giving him your sin and receiving his forgiveness and his acceptance. If you want to be a part of this prayer, you want to know Jesus in a real way, you want to accept this promise of his constant presence and his forgiveness, the forgiveness that only he offers. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, whether here Saturday night, there Sunday morning, nine o'clock or 1130, wherever you are listening, watching right now, 
If you want to be a part of this forgiveness, you want to be a part of God's family, when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to shoot up your hand. You know who you are. One, today's your day. Two, three. Would you shoot up your hand right now? Thank you. Hands all over here on Saturday night. I believe their hands going up there at the nine o'clock service and 1130 service right here in Kirkland. You're never going to be the same. You're never going to be the same. Come on, just pray with me right out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, here's my life. It's yours. <laughs> I've tried to save myself and I failed. I can't. I need you. I choose you. And I accept you. And I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.